The People's History of Kansas City podcast is supported by the Kemper Museum of Contemporary Art, celebrating 30 years at the Block Party on Saturday, May 4th. Visitors can enjoy music, food trucks, exhibitions, and artist-led activities. Learn more at KemperArt.org. This is a People's History of Kansas City, a podcast from KCUR Studios. I'm Suzanne Hogan. This episode is all about telling the story of the person behind maybe Kansas City's most iconic claim to fame. So you've probably heard about this, but in case you haven't, Kansas City's barbecue is kind of a big deal. We didn't invent barbecue by any means in the U.S. That came from the South. But what Kansas City did to barbecue is special. So special that its tradition, style, and unique blend of flavors has come to be internationally known and celebrated. But few people, even locally, know about the person we have to thank for this delicious culinary institution. Someone turned around and I said, oh, you mean Henry Perry? He looked real funny. He said, yes. And so I said, that's my grandfather. The work of Henry Perry, Kansas City's barbecue king, a black entrepreneur in the early 1900s, forever shaped this city and the world. Perry was the guy that stood up. It was a place where segregation ended when you walked through the door. But who was Henry Perry, and how come we don't know about his story today? What was in the heart of this man? What was in the mind of this man? This episode is all about getting to the bottom of this. We're celebrating this Kansas City hero whose story has been overlooked for far too long. His food had an aroma that stayed with you. And that's what made them want to come back to him. It's the quintessential Kansas City barbecue lesson on this episode of A People's History of Kansas City. So if you love Kansas City and Kansas City barbecue, listen up. So our producer, Mackenzie Martin, who is a recent KC transplant from Wisconsin, is going to be the one that takes us on this journey. Hey, Mackenzie. Hey, Suzanne. So you moved to Kansas City A year ago, right? What did you know about Kansas City before you got here? Well, uh, before I got here, I definitely knew that barbecue was a pretty big deal. But I didn't realize how strongly people felt about it until I properly moved here and started kind of asking around about it. (laughs) Yeah. No, if you want to get into a pretty heated discussion around here, all you have to do is ask someone where to go for the best barbecue in Kansas City. And don't even get started on the sauce. Yeah, I mean, there's no way I'm picking that fight. But while it may feel like every barbecue place around here is in competition with each other, two of the historically biggest names in Kansas City barbecue, Arthur Bryant's and Gates, actually both trace their barbecue style back to Henry Perry, even though until recently, very few Kansas Cityans really knew who Perry was, including his own granddaughter. Which is sad, because the story of how Henry Perry made Kansas City Barbecue into an institution, it's a great one. It spans decades, and it includes a lot of big players, like Major League Baseball. Yeah, you can add me to that short list. I just learned about Henry Perry a couple years ago, too, and it is a great story. I'm ready to hear it. Take it away, Mackenzie. Okay, so one of the first things you should know about Henry Perry is that he didn't get the name Barbecue King posthumously. He called himself the Barbecue King. He put it in newspaper ads, 
It was on the window of his restaurant. He also only spent half his life in Kansas City. He grew up outside of Memphis, picking up a lot of his barbecue experience working for restaurants on steamboats. The main attraction will send you that good old southern barbecue. be But he didn't create barbecue in Kansas City. People were already doing it before he arrived. He was just the first guy to really make a living selling it, and he coined the local style, which, like I said, he personally passed down to Arthur and Charlie Bryant, as well as Arthur Pinkard, the original cook for George and Ollie Gates. It's hard to know exactly why Henry Perry settled in Kansas City in 1907, but we did have a few things going for us at the time that would have piqued the interest of a young barbecue entrepreneur like himself. A thriving meatpacking industry, so cheap meat, and an abundance of hardwood trees. I also can't stress enough how good he was at selling things. He started out selling barbecue from a stand in the garment district of Kansas City. There wasn't any refrigeration, but it didn't end up mattering, because every day, he sold out. A few years later, he moved his operation to the 18th and Vine neighborhood, which was smart, because by the 1920s, there was a lot going on here. Political boss Tom Pendergast didn't enforce prohibition, so Kansas City was a wide-open town in the 20s. The liquor was free-flowing, and jazz was just starting to develop late into the night. And barbecue? It went well with jazz. Both are still prominent in 18th and Vine today. Which is where I headed recently with Kansas City historian and tour guide Eric Stafford. Here in Kansas City, uh, 12th Street, which is where jazz actually developed, is where they quarantined all the vice and kept it away from everybody. And as a result, the black community was, was, was very, very much saturated with vice. So drugs, prostitution, liquor, all that was heavily, easily accessible on 12th Street. This was back in the Jim Crow era, when Kansas City was segregated. This area between 12th and 18th Street was the center of the black community and full of black-owned restaurants. I mean, that was like what they had to do in order to survive because blacks could not go anyplace else to receive goods and services or to eat. Stafford says there was a little bit of everything, including but not limited to barbecue. All of Henry Perry's restaurants were pretty south of the action on 12th Street, but still very much a part of the neighborhood. So I guess you might get your steps in today. So this is where on the last layer. After I got the lay of the land on 18th Street, Eric Stafford and I walked down to 19th and Highland, where Henry Perry's most notable barbecue spot once stood. So right here, is where Henry Perry's uh, barbecue stand was, right here. I think it was like his third one. 19th and Highland was where he operated out of an old trolley barn for a while, before officially moving into a restaurant. Before that, you would have been able to find Perry's barbecue restaurant at other nearby corners. While he didn't establish the first commercial barbecue joint in the whole United States, even though he claimed he did at the time, he definitely was the first to establish a barbecue restaurant here in Kansas City. For all of his business acumen, though, he was also extremely generous, always wanted to give out free food. But he didn't play around, either. Inside his restaurant, he hung a sign that said, My business is to serve you, not to entertain you. And by the 1930s, people started following his lead. There were close to 100 barbecue restaurants in the area. And while we may not know exactly what it looked like, we definitely know what it smelled like. The odor was definitely apparent, like it is today. Like, if you were to drive by Gates Barbecue down here on 12th Street, you would smell it in the air. His food had an aroma that stayed with you. 
And that's what made them want to come back to him. That's Sonny Gibson, another local Kansas City historian. And I should probably point out, when we met up, he was eating a barbecue sandwich. Barbecue turkey, yeah. You want some? No, I have already eaten. But it wasn't as good as what Henry Perry was wrapping up in newspaper back in the day. His words. He smoked barbecue better than anybody. And they traveled from as far as Leavenworth, Kansas, Omaha, Nebraska, places like that. They would come down just to eat his food. Part of what was alluring about Perry was his process. According to Perry, there was only one way to cook barbecue. Slow cooked over a fire made from hickory and oak wood with the meat juices dripping directly on the coals. Another important thing for you to know about him, he was picky about how he barbecued, but he wasn't picky about what he barbecued. He barbecued and he cooked everything. Raccoons, coons, rabbits. Possum, hog, mutton. Part of the reason his selection was rather eclectic is because meatpacking plants at the time were discarding meat that they thought of as useless, like ribs, brisket. Historian Andrea Broomfield thinks that resulted in a bootleg market for meat. If you were able to go to the packing plants and scavenge, you could probably pick up some good pieces and barbecue it for free. And I think that Perry might have been doing that. Supposedly, one of Henry Perry's stands was right by a track where a train would turn around and bootleg meat would fall off. Perry or his assistant, (laughs) Mr. Bryant, would go out, pick it up, bring it in, barbecue it, and you'd be eating it. We were not picky in this city about what we barbecued. Based on all that we know of Perry's barbecue skills, though, we can safely assume that all of it, raccoon, possum, mutton, was pretty tasty, right? Sonny Gibson isn't so sure. Aren't you a little curious what it would taste like? No, I'm not curious. No way. Ain't nobody gonna eat no barbecue raccoon. Not everyone today feels that way, though. I've eaten uh, coon before. It has a real pleasant taste, coon does. Jim Watts is the ombudsman at the Black Archives of Mid-America. And in addition to being less appalled by Perry's meat choices than anyone else I talked to, he credits Perry's marketing and business savvy with what got people to come from all over. Let me put it to you like this. Perry was the guy that stood up, wanted to make a living doing something that he liked doing. There probably were other people that barbecued that might have been a better barbecuer than Perry in their backyard or their front yard or at the park or something like that. But then he was a businessman. Remember, Henry Perry didn't create barbecue in Kansas City. It was already something people were doing socially. You know, you have a party and you go on barbecue. But from the start, Perry was exceptionally good at marketing and selling it. And this attracted a diverse customer base, too. Perry's customers were equally divided between white and black, all with the common ambition to sink their teeth into Perry's succulent barbecue, according to the Kansas City Call in 1932. Here's something that's so significant. White people would come down for for jazz and barbecue, but then black people couldn't live in their neighborhoods. We could work for them, but then we... We couldn't do business with them in most cases. But white people always liked our jazz and food, one being barbecue. How do I put this? You could walk in 
through the front door, you would see black and white people. There was no segregation. And they would just sit there, enjoy the barbecue and all like that. It was a place where segregation ended when you walked through the door. People was just hospitable, and they loved to sit there and eat barbecue. It's not like barbecue was the great unifier. But like jazz at the time, Watts says, it was a place where black and white people coexisted in ways they weren't doing elsewhere. So I'm pretty sure that it didn't happen a lot, but I think maybe there were some friendships and relationships that, that came from a white person being at the restaurant and a black person just happened to be there. Because people find that they got something in common. But barbecue doesn't become a Kansas City institution with just one man. At the same time all of this is going on at Henry Perry's restaurant, just down the road was another thriving barbecue establishment, one that would become the first Gates barbecue restaurant of many in Kansas City. Johnny's Old Kentuck is another place I went with Eric Stafford, the Kansas City tour guide and historian. And this is where Old Kentuck barbecue was right here inside of the Roberts building. Oh, so pretty close to where Henry Perry's was. Yeah, right down the street. Before Old Kentuck became the first Gates barbecue, it was a popular place to go for barbecue and jazz in the 30s and early 40s. It's even where two of the most important figures in bebop and modern jazz met for the first time. And this is where uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie met, right here. Then they went around a corner to the Musicians Foundation. The famed jazz meeting between Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie took place at Old Kentuck in 1940, the same year that Henry Perry died of pneumonia. But Henry Perry's influence didn't end when he died. Kind of the opposite, honestly. In a sense, his influence tripled. As I mentioned earlier, there were three notable apprentices that Henry Perry taught. Arthur Pinkard became the pitmaster here at Old Kentuck. And six years after Henry Perry died, George Gates of Gates Barbecue fame bought Old Kentuck and kept Arthur Pinkard running the kitchen, permanently cementing the Henry Perry style of barbecue with Gates for generations. The other more famous men that Henry Perry trained were, of course, Arthur and Charlie Bryant. Charlie took over 19th and Highland when Perry died, even though he had already started his own business nearby. And then together with his brother Arthur, the Bryants created what has become Arthur Bryants today. All the while, crediting Henry Perry with teaching them everything they knew. It all makes you wonder though, would Kansas City even be known for barbecue without Henry Perry? Eric Stafford doesn't think so. I would have to say, uh, probably not. So you could say that the Kansas City uh, style of barbecue comes from Henry Perry. But who gets credit for putting Kansas City on the map nationally for barbecue is often his apprentice, Arthur Bryant, and Ollie Gates. Most black people, they grew up on Gates. I would say if it had not been for Ollie Gates, Kansas City's barbecue would not be what it is today. Ollie Gates is a living pioneer of Kansas City barbecue. Ollie Gates, coming up right after this break. You listen to A People's History of Kansas City for a fresh take on local history. We want to honor these stories and we take the reporting very seriously. 
And sometimes we just need to chill. Wanna hang? Let's party! Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host Ari Shapiro will make a special appearance, and boy, it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Please come support our work. Ticket information is available at kcur.org slash radioactive. Ollie Gates was only 14 when his father, George Gates, bought Old Kentuck. But as he puts it, they came to learn barbecue the Henry Perry way from Arthur Pinkard, who pretty much came with the restaurant. And that's why today, the same picture of Arthur Pinkard in his white chef's uniform hangs in the entryway of every Gates restaurant. According to Arzelia Gates, mother of Ollie and wife to George Gates, Arthur Pinkard was kind of a loner. He kept to himself, never married or had children. But as Ollie Gates told Crosby Kemper at a Kansas City Public Library event in 2011, family was very much a part of their business from the start. We, we bought the place from old Johnny, Johnny Thomas, and it was uh, old Johnny's old Kentucky, old Kentucky barbecue. And then when dad bought it, then it became old Kentucky barbecue. And then as we grew into the business, it became Gates Old Kentucky Barbecue. And then as I came into the business, he would take out Old Kentucky and it became Gates and Sons. But then when he would get mad at me, he would go get a can of paint and would paint <laughs> and son off. <laughs> One of the big reasons people credit Gates and Arthur Bryant's with the national popularization of Kansas City barbecue actually has to do with Major League Baseball. Roger Maris struck out in the first inning. Now he comes up in the third with a two down and nobody on. Before the Royals played at the K on I-70, Old Municipal Stadium was where Kansas Cityans went to cheer on the home team. It was at 22nd and Brooklyn, right in the heart of downtown Kansas City. One of the greatest things that happened to Kansas City, of course, was 1954, when they brought Major League Baseball to Kansas City. And then uh, when they had Major League to come to town, then they, they made a Major League town out of this. Then you had, it was surrounded by four barbecue places. You got to remember that, one at 24th in Brooklyn, one at 18th in Brooklyn, one down at 18th in Euclid, and one on 19th. Well, they, we permeated the air with those obnoxious odors of barbecue, you know what I mean? And then people up to the ballpark would smell those odors, and they said, yeah. where's that odor coming from? You yeah, know? Right, and yeah. so we'd rush up there, and we'd give Mel Harmon some meat. You can attribute the, the growth of barbecue to Major League in Kansas City, football and baseball. Even though baseball helped Kansas City's barbecue fame, Ollie Gates doesn't give baseball all the credit here. Is that part of what made the restaurant such a success? You were close to the ballparks, so you liked big, big crowds no, before No, man, our, our product made us famous. What are you talking about? As Kansas City became known for barbecue, important people would make it a point to show up to Gates and Arthur Bryant's to taste what all the fuss was about. And then in 1974, Kelvin Trillin wrote an article for The New Yorker talking up the barbecue in Kansas City and going so far as to call Arthur Bryant's the best damn restaurant in the world. R.J. Pittman is the great-grandnephew of Arthur Bryant. They used to tell me about uh, several presidents that came in and ate, you know, um, President Truman. Pittman's heard a lot of stories about A-listers showing up at his family's establishment, especially presidents. Supposedly, President Truman played cards in the back, and when President Obama visited in 2014, he was famously crushed to find the establishment was out of coleslaw. I got a picture of Carter sitting in there eating. VIPs also included Hollywood stars like Robert Redford and Jack Nicholson. 
But beyond the famous people, from an early age, R.J. Pittman also remembers another famous part of Bryant's barbecue, the sauce. I, I don't know how Arthur Bryant, uh, how Henry Perry made it, but he used to set the bottle down and about two or three inches of some kind of lard or grease come to the top. You have to shake it up before you use it. No, it doesn't. It doesn't do that now, <laughs> but that was the way it was when I was very young. Historian Andrea Broomfield remembers it too. We asked her about it at a People's History event last year. Back in the day, when you went to Bryant's, I don't know if you remember, but you would see that sauce in those big jars, kind of percolating in the sun, and that to me spelled good. <laughs> Arthur Bryant's sauce was a much tamer version of Henry Perry's original, though. Because while Perry taught the Bryant brothers everything they knew about barbecue, the one thing the three didn't agree on was the sauce. Henry Perry's sauce was supposedly so peppery that it brought tears to people's eyes. Arthur Bryant used to say he could tell Charlie and Perry made the sauce too hot by the way people frowned. In spite of that, today, people still wish they had the recipe. Just listen to this audience question from our event with Andrea Broomfield last year. I guess my question is going back to the Perry slide. Um, Perry's sauce, which starts off uh, yes. barbecue sauce. Right. Um, I'm curious if you have any more kind of ideas of what that sauce would be like, look like, or if we could figure out how to make it at home. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had that recipe. Alas, she does not. But if you, like this question asker, want to experiment, she recommends cayenne pepper, vinegar, and naturally, lard. No tomato to speak of, certainly no sugar. Today, barbecue sauce is a pretty big deal everywhere in Kansas City. Like Bryant's, other sauces too have been passed down for generations. And people don't necessarily want to tell you what's in them. Take Jones barbecue sauce, for instance. The sauce from sisters Mary and Deborah Jones was the focus of an episode of the television show Queer Eye. Is this the sauce right here? I can try uh -huh. a little bit of and it. There's right. right there. Mm. That's the voice of Chef Anthony Porofsky. Different, huh? There's something in there that's not that's really not common that I really love. You're not telling me. Okay. Um, you know what? I'm not going to ask any questions that are none of my business because <laughs> I get it. And you have to like respect the integrity of the recipe and it's not my place. Who keeps the recipe? It's up here. Who it's up here. You don't have it written down. Oh, oh God, no. no. <laughs> I am happy to report that since this episode aired in 2019, though, the Jones sisters bottled their sauce to great success. But would Kansas City barbecue sauce be such a competitive export in Kansas City if it weren't for Henry Perry? Probably not. Anyone who loves Kansas City barbecue owes its entire existence to Henry Perry. But until relatively recently, not that many people knew very much about who Henry Perry was, including his own descendants. I am Bernetta McKendra, and I am the granddaughter of Henry Perry. Bernetta McKendra never met her grandfather, and she didn't grow up hearing stories about him from her mother or her grandmother either. He just wasn't talked about. It was just known that he was the barbecue king, and that was pretty much it. It was not until I started to read and got older and saw other publications that I began to know that, oh, I think he really is someone. One of those moments of realization came when McKendra found out that Henry Perry had been inducted into the American Royal Barbecue Hall of Fame. This is how it got started. 
2017, I was with a bus tour. We went to the Mackinac Islands, and there was a gentleman that was sitting behind me. They were talking about food, which naturally evolved into a conversation about Kansas City barbecue. And he started telling her about this famous barbecuer who had recently been inducted into the Barbecue Hall of Fame. You can probably guess where I'm going here. Well, I'm sitting there. He couldn't remember Henry Perry's name. He said, well, the gentleman, he said, the, the, the guy that's responsible for barbecue in Kansas City, something like that. So in turn, I turned around and I said, oh, you mean Henry Perry? And so he looked real funny. He said, yes. And so I said, that's my grandfather. And just a moment and just remembering the look on his face, you know, like, how cool was that? That It should be noted, though, that she didn't find out about Henry Perry's induction into the Barbecue Hall of Fame until years after it happened. Perry was inducted in 2014, which, from my perspective, is far too late. Both Guy Fieri and Henry Ford were inducted two years before him in 2012. That being said, I don't necessarily blame the American Royal. The World Series of Barbecue might be based here in Kansas City, but it's not like Kansas City has been giving Henry Perry tons of credit over the years either. At least not as much as he deserves. Many Kansas Cityans probably heard about Henry Perry for the first time last July, in 2020, when he was honored with a Henry Perry Day in Kansas City in Jackson County, exactly a century after he fed a thousand Kansas Cityans for free, specifically children, women, and the elderly, on the lawn next to his restaurant. Brennan McKendra found out about the celebration when she was out shopping with her friend, who saw the news in the Kansas City Pitch. And she said, Brennan, that's your grandfather, right? And so I said, yes. And so the, the other two salespeople that were in the store, they kind of looked like, yeah, right. But <laughs> at this point in time, she had been researching her grandfather for a few years. But it wasn't until Henry Perry Day on July 3rd that it really sunk in for her how important her grandfather's legacy was to the entire institution of Kansas City Barbecue. It was a glorious time. It was really um, a time of, of reckoning that not only was this man being recognized, but he also was my blood relative, you know, was my grandfather, which was close kin. To commemorate Henry Perry on that day, Kansas City area barbecue establishments donated their supplies and time to prepare a thousand free meals, and then they gave them away to local charities, similar to what Henry Perry had done exactly a hundred years prior. McKendra still vividly remembers when Jackson County Executive Frank White read the official Henry Perry Day proclamation outside the Kansas City Barbecue Society. Afterwards, Kansas City Barbecue Society CEO Emily Detweiler thanks him, saying it's a good day to celebrate all Henry Perry has done to create barbecue as both a cuisine and a culture of Kansas City. Just being there when they read the proclamation, that was really something. I think we can all agree that Henry Perry Day happening last year is great. But should something like this have happened sooner? Probably. For just a moment, imagine Bernetta McKendra growing up in a Kansas City where she saw her grandfather's name everywhere. Maybe there was a fountain named after him, or a street. It would have been impossible for her to go as long as she did without realizing how important he was. The thing that's been most interesting to me um, is his tenacity. What was in the heart of this man? What was in the mind of this man? Especially during that time, being a black man and coming from the steamboats, what was the drive that kept him going? It's very humbling to me. It's something that I'm not taking for granted that I have that same DNA because he is my grandfather. 
Today, you can't smell Henry Perry's Barbecue in downtown Kansas City, but you can smell Gates at 12th and Brooklyn, and Arthur Bryant's at 18th and Brooklyn. Elsewhere, there's Joe's, Jones, LC's, Jackstack, Q39, and countless others. Some of these restaurants wouldn't be around today if it wasn't for Henry Perry. And while they might not cook the meat directly on the coals like Perry did, they're still carrying on the tradition of barbecue excellence in Kansas City that he started in the early 1900s, drawing people from cities and towns far away. These days, there's just less possum on the menu. Mackenzie Martin is a producer for KCUR Studios. A People's History of Kansas City is a production from KCUR Studios with the support of the Mid-Continent Public Library. For further reading about Kansas City Barbecue, check out the books The Grand Barbecue by Kansas City writer Doug Wargle and Andrea Broomfield's Kansas City, a food biography. You can get in touch with us or connect with other fans of the podcast. Join our Facebook group at kcur.org slash people's history group or if you want to email me directly just hit me up at people's history kc at kcur.org a special thanks this episode to the black archives of mid-america the kansas city public library and will gregory from the american royal music this episode from blue dot sessions nat king cole benny moton's kansas city orchestra count basie and tech nine our team is Mackenzie Martin, Mike Russo, Byron Love, Ann Knigendorf, Barb Shelley, Cody Newell, and Krista Henthorn. I'm Suzanne Hogan. Take care, and thanks for listening. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.